Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on BBC Sounds. This week, Tom Cole is my special guest, taking your calls on everything from trees, geraniums and even daffodils. I wonder why. They're everywhere. I see them here, I see them there. Daffodils everywhere. We've also got some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden, plus our plant of the week. We go straight to your calls this week and we start with Pamela in Ockenden. Pamela. Morning, boys. How are things going with you? Um, fine, watching everything moving. A friend spoke to me the other day and asked me if I could find out. She's got a walking stick, a contortus twisted hazelnut tree. Yeah. And it's ended up being very, very tall and very wide. And she doesn't know when she should prune and where she should prune. And um, I said, well, I was going to ring you today on another question for myself, please. But So we're doing I'll, that one first, are we? I'll do that one first, please. It's, it's interesting. I drove past somewhere where one was planted about... 25, 30 years ago, and do you know it's nearly 20, it must be 25 foot, 30 foot high. They can get quite big, can't they? Yeah. Mm. So, <clears throat> Tom, you just, I mean, I'm a fairly, you can be quite ruthless with them, can't you? Well, you can actually. I mean, um, I mean, with this type of plant, you can actually prune any time in the dormant season, and right. we are just on the edge of moving out of that. So you're still okay, I think, uh, to do it. Uh, it's probably, probably full of catkins, though, at the moment, isn't it? I it's haven't seen it. She spoke friends. to me at a meeting on Not Thursday. Right. Well, I would, I would definitely actually go quite hard. Uh, I've pruned them before where I've taken them down from 15 foot uh, down to around about three or four foot. Oh, and goodness. I, yeah, and I've taken out... What I've gone for, first of all, is take out the really, really oldest stems, the thicker stems first, With as far as you possibly can. Right. Stand back, have a look at the plant, have a look at the shape. Uh, and then if you've got other growth that's still too high, bring it down by at least half to two thirds. Right. Yeah. I'd like to leave a little bit more growth on there, just the odd larger stem so it doesn't look absolutely decimated. How about that? Your friend will be pleased with that answer, won't she? Yes, I've written that down. Thank you very much indeed. Now, what Uh, have you got for us? Well, what I've got for you, um, I've got a greenhouse which I use fully all the time. And I'm very pleased to say that all my fuchsias have come through, which is great. Um, But once again, I've tried everything. I've never yet been able to bring through pelargoniums. Um, They're always rotting off. I I do everything that you're told. I keep them on the dry side. I fleece them up when the weather's not great. I will admit the greenhouse isn't heated, but I never seem to go too low there because it's quite secluded. Um, And, you know, I just look and I say, I just cannot ever bring these through. So can you give me any tips of what I'm not doing or what I'm I was nearly going to say, keep them dry and you'll be fine <laughs> getting them through. Um, it is, isn't it? If, if the, the cooler it is, the drier they've got to be, isn't it, Tom? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they, I mean, they're quite a succulent plant. So if, it, if, 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 if you haven't got that frost protection, then yeah, there can be some actual real dieback of the plants. I've used, uh, I mean, in a, in a in a greenhouse I look after, right, we bubble polythene it uh, every year, but it's a bit of a it's a bit of a chore to take that all off again as the sun rises. But that seems to do a trick for us. Um, the other one is I've done it where I've put paper over, I put horticultural fleece over, 
uh, if I know there's going to be a frost or, or cold weather. And they sort of get through. But the key is actually very, very little watering. I think I have only watered once, I think, just so I, it wasn't absolutely bone dry. Uh, because they will just really shrivel up. Um, I have done the bubble. I mean, I've got that from halfway down, and I read many years ago to make sure you don't bubble the actual roof of the greenhouse because that can cause a lot of problems with condensation and damping. Uh, no, I, no, you, you can't. You, the key thing is at least have the vent that can open or any side vents. So I, I always encase the whole the whole building, and then mm. I'm just about to take it all off, but it should okay. be fine that way. The thing as well. Well, my old dad many years ago, he used to pull them up, dry them up, hang them upside down in the <clears> loft, bring them down at the appropriate yeah, I'm, time. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. A friend of mine did that. He had a skylight mm. in the loft. He just put them up there in the autumn, came yeah. back in the spring, and then potted the whole lot up. And I met someone else who used to just wrap them in newspaper, That's lift them up, right. roll them up in newspaper, leave them in the loft and forget all about them and hey presto. So I tell you what, why don't you try the newspaper or the hanging them in the, <laughs> hanging them in the garage? Thank you very much, Pamela, from Ockenden Village. And we go to Val in Wickford, talking daffodils, Val. Yes, good morning, Ken. Um, I've got some, uh, like a grass verge outside my house and over the years I've put more and more daffodils in it and there's yeah. maybe... Probably well over a hundred. Good. This year they've all come up blind. There's not a bud on any of them. This year. Yes. Yeah. I if you look round, mm. uh, roundabouts etc. There are a lot of blind daffodils this year. I'm putting it down to the dry summer. Yeah, the weather before the weather before the flowering season. If it's really really dry, they're not putting the energy into actually developing that bulb and actually producing the flower. When you plant daffodils in August, September, the flower's already formed. It's already there in the bulb. Um, so what last last year's weather was, well, it was good on one sense, but it was actually really dry the other. And I don't think the bulbs have really had enough chance to actually, you know, put that energy into producing that flower for this season. So there are lots and lots of leafy areas, but not so many flowers this and year. I, I actually had a word, didn't I, with Lord Taylor of Taylor Bulbs, who's been who's celebrating this year out of interest, one of the biggest bulb growers in the country of Daffodil, the major grower. Um, he's celebrating 100 years, so he's got a bit of a bit under his belt. And they've had their worst year. And the same problem is that they to find bulbs that they can then replant that have got enough stamina in them to give them a flower because they then export the flower. So you're not alone, Val. There's someone who's been doing it 100 years that's had, got the problem and you've got the problem just the same. And what I try and do, but as they're in leaf, I probably try and boost feed, them, feed, feed them. them with a liquid feed. Liquid feed, any one in particular, no. or just maxi crop? Anything at all. There's maxi crop, there's tomato feed, anything like that will do. Water them in as, as long as they're in leaf, they're taking that feed up and then check them through the summer period. If it's really dry, make sure they're watered. There's a line free at the moment on 0800 111 Why not message us straight into the studio on 81333? Just pop Essex on the front and we'll talk gardening with you this Saturday morning. Uh, Lindsay from Boreham, Blackthorn. <laughs> Sorry, I can't hear you. I can't hear you at all, Lindsay. I can't. No, you're on a mobile. 
No, we'll try and get you back and we'll try and sort you out. But no, we can't hear you at the moment. It might have been that I was talking about Blackthorn earlier this morning and about um, how Blackthorn, there's a, there's a rhyme about Blackthorn and the weather and I can't remember Ooh, what it was. Right. Anyway, let's go to Carol. And Rayleigh, she's talking about wild garlics. Growing like grass at the moment, isn't it, Carol? It certainly is, Ken. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It's a nightmare, isn't it? It's a nightmare. And every year we dig up hundreds and hundreds of the bulbs, but you leave one tiny bit in the ground and off they go again. Um, about two weeks ago, I actually sprayed them with a very strong weed killer. But the green is still very green. It doesn't seem to have taken it down to the bulbs. Right. Can you tell us which uh, which weekly you use, just so that we can then oh, help? Oh, gosh. It's, um, did it have glyphosate in it? It did, yes. If it had glyphosate in it, remember that at this time of the year, because the, although the day temperatures warm up a little bit, and the night temperatures are cold, the ground's cold, therefore the chemical will work much more slowly. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh. Yeah, it's resolve. Resolve, resolve yeah, that, yeah. As long as it's got yeah. glyphosate in it, that's, that's fine. When you get when you get sort of fairly even temperatures, which is not quite yet, it takes actually literally still about a week and a half, sometimes two yeah. weeks. So right. it's in there, but it's working its way down. Um, so it will. will go down to the bowl. It should it still should get do. there, but it takes a longer period of time to get there. And yeah. I'll tell you what, you'll still be at it next year. Yeah, I can you'll, guarantee you'll it. You'll probably still be spraying again as well. Yeah. I'll just, you know, if I could just warn everybody, if you send off for mixed bulbs, don't plant the alliums because they are a nightmare. Is it the, oh, I see. If You you mean your mixed bulbs gave you wild garlic? They certainly did. Was yeah. it a wild mix? Was it a wild flower mix? No, it wasn't. It was, it, you know, it was the usual uh, crocus. Daffodil. I find that difficult to believe. Mm. That's an interesting one, but I've never heard that before. And we... uh, well, it, a friend of mine, she's got the same problem. She she had them sent to her from one of the nurseries, and you know she's got the same problem as well. We'll have to look into that and see what we can find out. Odd, I'm just going to nip back, <clears throat> nip back, as I said, to Lindsay. Lindsay, what can I? Uh, we've Sorry got you about again. that, Ken. I lost the signal. Got you now. Um, Yes, on about your blackthorn, Ken. Yes, what, what is it that they say? Well, beans I'm a Fifield lass, bred and born. <laughs> right. Brought Tell up in the, in the, obviously, the Fifield, Nord End. I'm sure you know where it is. Yeah. Um, my grandfather had a small holding, and it was a, obviously um, a saying, um, it never gets really warm until the blackthorn has gone. And the flower of May, not the month of May, the flower of May won't come out till the blackthorn on the hedgerows has disappeared. So, in other words... They call it a blackthorn winter. Oh, Ah, so we've got to sit tight, wait for the blackthorn to finish. and the little saying, cast not the clout to the May is out. Well, it's not the month of May. No, it's the May, isn't it? It's the May flower, which is the hawthorn. Yes. There, we've got it, you see. Now we know. So, so we've just got to be a bit more patient, yes? Just, just a tad. Just, just a tad. tad. <laughs> and also the daffodils, I've got blind ones, but we've had no snow this year to keep their little coats warm, have we? To warm the ground up. <laughs> no, I think, I think in all honesty it was last summer that did the damage. Early yes, summer. It's the early it summer. It sizzled, didn't it? Too dry early on.
Anyway, yeah. thank you. Lindsay, thank you very much for finding right, a signal okay. and us coming back to you. Bye. Bye-bye there. That's Lindsay getting the blackthorn right. And let's go to Lynn in Colchester. Hello, Lynn. Yeah, hello. Um, right, I've got one of these um, angel trumpet plants. Yep. You know, those big pink things, um, massive big leaves on it. Um, I've had it about three years, and it's been in a 15-inch pot. Well, last year, I was getting a bit fed up with it because I only had two flowers on it. So I just left it where it was. And the roots had grown through the pot when we moved it about four weeks ago. Right. Um, split the bottom of the pot. So we split the pot off of it, yep. dug a big hole, cut it right back, and I've put it in the ground. Okay. In the ground? Do you think it will grow? Yeah, I've put it in the ground. Do you think it will grow? If it's a, no, Brugmansia, and if it's, if it's a Brugmansia, no, they're not hardy. Oh, this one's been out in the garden four years. Oh. It's that big pink, it has a big pink... Big trumpeted flower? Big big trumpeted flower that's very fragrant? Um, I don't know about fa- fragrant, but I know that, the leaves are poisonous. That's Angel's that's, Trumpets then, that's, that's a Brugmansia. It. It's not 100% hardy, unless you've got it around other plants that are protecting it. I've got it up against the fence, um, which the wind... Doesn't get. Um, my garden. My garden faces south, and this wind, this I, fence is sort of southwest. Um, as so long as, hit- as long as, as long as you've planted it somewhere there in a similar position, that will be fine. It will sort itself out. Best of luck and fleece it. Definitely fleece, fleece it. Fleece it in the winter. Yeah. That's the most important thing that you can do. I mean, it's been quite mild, hasn't it? Time now to take a look at plant of the week. I've chosen Mirabelle plum, also known as cherry plum. Now. Why have I chosen that? Actually, it's because I've seen a couple in full flower. And the thing about them is because it's a massed small fruit, they have hundreds and hundreds of small, delicate, whitish flowers. Very attractive at this time of the year. Um, Why would you grow it? Well, (laughs) it's cultivated from a wild fruit grown in Anatolia. So again, why would you grow it? Well, the fruit is absolutely fantastic. It really is. Beware. They do grow into quite a large tree, and they really do. They're of the plum family, as I keep saying. Uh, however, they, they have a small stone, and in theory, you would say that they haven't got a lot of flesh round the stone. They're a bit like a cherry, but they are well worth growing. They're superb. The fruit is used for pies, preserves, and jams. They're also used for eau de vie. So they're a great thing to grow in your garden if you want something that's a little bit different. Um, Mustn't forget, actually, they're quite lovely fresh as well. You can pick them off the tree. They go a lovely sort of orangey colour. Pick them off the tree and just chew them. A couple of them are Mirabella de Nancy or... Mirabelle de Metz. Now, it's interesting because in the city of Metz, they have a Mirabelle Festival and it's held in August. Parades, you drink eau de vie, you just enjoy yourself. So look out for that one. Where are they grown heavily here? Well, actually, um, Sea in Essex, there are some grown there in bulk and also on Alton Broad in Suffolk. They're easy to grow Preferably in a warmish position because they'll ripen more easily, as you can tell. I'm talking about 
the mid to southern France, so they grow in that area really well, so they want a bit of warmth. They're self-fertile, therefore easy to grow. What are you going to try? Mirabelle Plum. And they're available, I've noticed, from several Essex growers who do mail order. So watch out for that as well. Let's go back to the phones, and I promised, didn't I? Dave from Brittlewell. Hello, Dave. Morning, gentlemen. Lovely morning. The sun's shining, and I'm having a coffee. <laughs> gorgeous, isn't it? What, what yeah. are we talking about with yourself right, today? I've got a winter flowering jas jasmine. Yeah. Now I, t I know you'll tell me I planted it in the wrong place. I did know that it was a north-facing wall. So now I want to move it, and I found a place on a south-facing wall. And the jasmine was called um, Blooming Dreams. Now. Last year, it was a mass of flower, but they was all killed off, or buds, it was all killed off with the bad weather. So this year, it started budding up the end of September, October. So I've covered it over in fleece, but none of the flowers have opened, and they're all dying back again. So what I want to do now is to move it into another position, which is a south-facing wall. Win now, when this is, is, a, is this a winter jasmine we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, a winter flowering jasmine. So it's basically blooming dreams. Blooming dreams. So it's got it's got a bit of greenness about it at the moment. Oh yeah, it's full yeah. of full is of it, flower. Yeah, yeah. is it showing? Flower, <clears throat> that's fine. That's winter flowering. Yeah. It's winter flowering. Is it showing leaf as well? Yeah. Hmm. It's going to be um, well. It's going to be a bit burnt off. It might have been. It might have been colder because it's quite a hardy plant, really. It is, isn't it? It's tough. South facing is a good aspect, but I'm. Yeah. A, I, if you do it, you could try and do it now. But I think what I would do is sink it quite deep. The problem is, though, if it's in leaf. If it's insignificantly, if it's going to, you're going to be struggling with that. It's going to be drying out. But we are at the beginning of the season. I would try it, but I'd really sink it in quite deep. So where it is in the ground at the moment, sink it another half a foot. It will sucker from, from those shoots that are buried. Um, and what you might want to do then is also where it has flowered or has had flower buds is remove those back to where you've got some just green shoots. It's, it's been green all the years. The, the, yeah, the leaves they do sometimes. It will be, but what you'll get beyond the flowers is new green shoots. They would have been produced at the same time. They need yeah. to be tied in. Tie the plant more to the horizontal. Don't just tie it straight up, and that will hopefully give you a better display at the end of the year. Yeah, but I'd want to move it to a south-facing wall. That's what I'm saying. Do it now. Do it now. Don't, right now. And I mean, straight in a, in a moment. After, <laughs> after the, the show. After the program. Definitely do it and flood it, really water it, and then feed it in about two or three weeks more time and then look look at that as you go through the season but it it's touch and go because it's in leaf so you've got to do it right now if not don't do it at all because it you will be doing it harm and then come back in the autumn and do it then yeah yeah if not okay hope that dave uh nice lot of calls but give us a call now we got a space for 0800 111 if you can't get through send us a text on 8133 put essex on the front and let's go to dory hello dory Hello. Down in Kirby Cross. You're, That's you're, right, yes. So you should nip down the down front and front and have a walk along the front. It's a bit windy, but the sun sun's out. It's a lovely spot, yes. Well, my problem is the uh, fuchsia capsid bug, which developed last year. Uh, several people around here and people in Frinton had it. Yep. Um, uh, I, cut, I decided to cut everything out I could, but... I've still left the um, plants, you know, the, st the stems, 
Um, and um, I heard you speaking to somebody the other week, and they said, oh, they planted roses because they'd had this had a bug. That's right. And I wondered if you can enlighten me about this bug a bit more. It's fuchsia mite, isn't it? It's fuchsia no, gall mite. Gall, oh, no, gall, I think you've got gall mite. Does it um, turn the buds into a sort of ball? No, no, this is called capsid, C-A-P-S-I-D. I looked it up on capsid the internet. Capsid just makes holes, doesn't it, and Tom? It, it's a fly that goes into the leaf and um, distorts it. And no. no, 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 no. Is it... Did, will it distort capsid? Yeah, it does. It, uh, so the cap- I, you know, I'm concerned. She's got leaf gall. Well, there's two no, things no, here. The, the capsid, the cap- what the capsid bug does, it uh, it attacks the leaf, it attacks the growth points, yeah. Yeah. and then the leaf still carries on growing. But it, but because you've damaged the leaf, or it's damaged mm. the leaf, it's distorted. Yes. So you get a very distorted-looking plant. Yes, absolutely. Um, whereas the mite is going to attack those extremities and cause that. Well, you get the you get dieback, don't you? Really, yeah. there's no real control for that one. Mm. Uh, but with the um, capsid, what you want to be looking for is trying to control it really from May onwards. Oh, not till May. No, but you want to be looking and being vigilant because as seasons differ every year, yes. it's, it's, it becomes more uh, uh, visible around mid-May onwards. So at the moment, you're fine. Mm. Um, so you just need to do whatever you're doing with, your, with those fuchsias and feed or pot up and grow them on, but watch mm. out for them then. And what you could use um, is anything that's got pyrethrum in, uh, which is pretty good. Mm. Uh, and there are, you've also got the Pravado bugs, uh, bug killers you can use as well on those. Bug clear ultra. Yeah, you can start using those and just follow the instructions. Mm. But so it start don't... using the, the, the um, spray now, you're saying? Uh, no, I wouldn't it bother at the moment because it's not around at the moment. Mm. Uh, it's more uh-huh. of a problem from around May onwards. Uh-huh. So what is this Pravado and... They're just, so they're so, sprays, so they're systemic chemicals that you spray onto the plant, the plant absorbs them, the pest still attacks the plant, but it ingests the chemical and the pest dies off. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't want to use uh, chemicals, uh, then really it's about um, uh, taking away vegetation, taking away infected areas, cleaning mm-hmm. around the base of the plant. Yeah. Um, those are the sort of things you want to look for, really. But right. One so of the removal but, of all um, um, move all vegetation nearby. Yeah. Yeah. So good hygiene controls. So clear away debris that's been affected. Uh, pinch mm. out shoots that've been very affected. Uh, mm. And then think about feeding as well. So it's all about boosting the plant sort of immune system, really. Mm. And you can feed with what? Any uh, a general purpose fertilizer. So it's fuchsias. I would go for something that's quite high in potash. So something like um, a tomato feed would be good. Oh yes. So you could and, use it as a liquid feed. And, yeah. And the one to look out for is Bug Clear Ultra, which is one of the few systemics that's still available. Okay. Well, I must admit it's all very confusing for me. But just um, just think of Bug Clear and look. Think of Ultra, and you'll be there. Okay. I can feed it now, but not to spray until May. Yeah, so start thinking about spraying at the beginning of May. Okay, let's uh, go now to... Oh, where are we going? I think uh, that, that was Dory from Kirby Cross. Um, we're going to Peter from Ilford. Hello, Peter. Sorry to kept you waiting a little while there, Peter. Okay, thanks for taking the call, Ked. That's all Good right. morning. I've, I've got about 25 metres of box yeah 
and it was it's been in about 10 years and it's done very well up until last year and i think it got box blight so what i did i cut it down a little bit and i found some uh, chemical on the internet that i sprayed onto it and since then it it went like um it looked like frost on the top of it on the leaves well like a mildewy sort of stuff mildewy so what i did since then i brushed it all off and i've cut it down now to about half a meter to let the air get in do you think i've lost it or do you think it's had it right and well, if so how do box, i get rid of it well box blight i know tom has suffered with box blight himself haven't you well i was going to ask you something else a moment because it might there's also box tree caterpillar which was very bad which last defoliated year, and actually well. spreading up from the south at the moment Right. Uh, not at the moment, but since last year. Uh, and it causes leaves to be stuck together as the caterpillar starts to pupate. And it right. looks straight. It looks, first of all, like you might have box blight, but you get skeletonized leaves as well. You haven't got that, have you? No, no. So when, I, when I'm looking in, in the light twigs that there is now, it's, it still looks greenish. It, 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 it doesn't look all brown dead. And they do recover. But even from box blight, they will recover, won't they, yeah, Tom? So, you can cut them back yeah. and they will regrow. So I have had box blight before, and I've I've removed the odd plant, but I've cut others down hard. And they grow and back. I've, but I've also used uh, something like, um, what I found was quite useful was sequestered iron. Um, so anything that's got an iron-based feed strengthens the uh, leaf. Right. And you can also get a box feed that is specific for buxus. Is that, that is, a, is well. that a liquid can? No, it's it's a it's a it's a granular, and it's got specific trace elements as well in it to help it. Right. Any idea the the name? No, no, I'm, I'm not good on names. <laughs> that would help though, wouldn't it, Tom? It's feeding is so important. Feeding is, is strong. I mean, anything also that's got potassium in. Potassium thickens the cell walls of a plant, makes it stronger, more resistant. So uh, any seaweed-based product that's got that in would be good. Water it over the plant. You can yep. do it from now onwards. That mm -hmm. will really strengthen it up, and then watch the plant. But right. do watch out for box tree caterpillar. Right. Uh, that's the other problem that and we're And you having. can get traps for those uh, which are available as well. They're pheromone traps. Can't Fer you? Yeah, pheromone traps, actually. It's not a chemical control. It's a cultural control. Okay. Hope okay, that's helped, Peter. You. Thank you very much. That's Peter. And we go to Stockton-on-Tees. Not just up the road, is it, Craig? It's not. No, it's right up the other side of the country, Ken. No, Morning, very, guys. Very nice to hear Morning. from you. Uh, I know you're an app listener, aren't you, actually? I am, yeah. BBC yep. Sounds, yeah, every week, yeah. I'm glad you mention it because people forget that you can get our podcast um, on there every uh, just after us finishing comes on in the afternoon. So thank you very much for giving it a plug and keeping in touch with us. Now, Craig, we, we've had a look at your wisteria. How old is the wisteria on the wall there? Basically, yeah, so just I, sorry, just a background for people listening. Craig has sent us some pictures of the back wall of his house. He's wired it nicely, Tom, hasn't Very he? good wiring. And you've planted a wisteria against it. Yeah, so tell us more. Uh, yeah, so, so last year I planted that um, and it grew up to about three foot and yep. it flowered really well. Um, and then in the summer, it grew right up. So all the wispy growth went, went right up, right up past my window to the first floor. So at the end of the summer, I cut it back to about six buds. And then I've just done a little bit of pruning now. But my question is, is what do I do with those with that growth that's going up vertical now? Do I let that grow this year and then train it then horizontally? 
and then my pruning this year will be then against those horizontals. With um, wisteria, I like, I like to build up the framework in stages. So okay. um, what you've done so far sounds that that sounds That's, really really it good. Good, didn't it? Um, so what will happen now as a result of your pruning will be that you get lots more whippy growth. Um, I would select growth that's very close to that that framework you've added onto the wall and tie that in more to the horizontal, if you can, okay. because that will slow the sap down uh, within the plant and create more breaks on the stem. And what you're doing is actually gradually building up the two-year-old wood or more, which it flowers on. And it will give okay. you little, and you'll get spurs. You will. You'll get, you get lots of spurs. Quite, you know what I mean? Little spurs yeah. all the way along. Little shortened shoots you'll get on the two-year-old wood, and then you'll get the flowers from those. Every time you prune it, it wants to keep on producing growth. So you either decide, I want that growth and tie it in. But if there's no space for it, you cut it out to... And I go a bit yeah. harder, actually. I go to one or two buds. I'm a two bud, man. Uh, because it's a newish plant. You really want to force it into producing that framework. And I reckon it will cover that wall really, really quickly. Two to three years, absolutely covered. And it's worth oh, mulching, mulching the base, isn't it, to keep it... Um... Keep yeah, it, that's keep good. It moist good practice. The wall. Yep, yeah, good practice. I would also feed. It's a new plant. Um, yeah, so I, granular feed. Yeah, something that's a controlled, slow release feed. Things like Osmocote, or you could go out for things like Grow More if you Vitax, like. Or Q4. Vitax Q4. They're all sort of fairly generalized feeds. Once that's worked in, I go for something like 35 to 50 grams square meter. Work it okay. in, and then a nice thick organic mulch, a nice thick layer of mulch around the base of the plant. Don't put it right up to the trunk. Sometimes those new plants they can get scorched. And Craig, okay. thank you very much for your call. Really appreciate it. All right, you're more than welcome. Thank you, guys. Okay, they are. There's Craig from Stockton on Tees, and yes, we got um, Kazra from Ontario as well, who's another podcast listener. Uh, but um, she she hasn't rung. I can understand why not. Um, <laughs> But we'll try and get that one done if we can. But we're going to the phones and there's space for you. 0800 111 Harold from Basildon talking amaryllis with yourself, Harold. Hello, Ken. Um, Ken, I've got a, um, I don't know what to do with my amaryllis because it was given to me and it was a bowl. And all you had to do was to put 500 milligram, whatever it is, of water in the base yep. and then place the bulb on top of the little... Um, well, bottom of it, you know, yep. and then put the cap on so that the point was just going through and do nothing with it. It's flowered, beautiful flowers on it, actually. But um, what, what do I do now? Is this one growing in water then, or is it? Yeah, yeah it's no yeah. compost, just growing yeah. in water, like we that, grew hyacinths. Yeah, yeah it's a good right. idea. Yeah, you well, hyacinths in the jar. Yeah, didn't it's we? an interesting. It's a really interesting question because what do you do with it? Because normally you would. It's in compost. You let it dry down, etc. Yeah. So what do you do, Tom? Come on, I would plant it up. Well, I would actually plant it up. Um, I would put it into a something like an earthenware pot, a terracotta pot. Gently treating um, those roots. Though. Yeah, uh, yeah. being careful because actually roots that are growing or partially submerged in water are quite brittle, so you've got to be a little bit careful. Well, there's hardly any roots on it at all. It oh, doesn't well. seem to have made any roots. It will do it, though, once you start planting. So oh, go and go for something like a soil-based compost, and with the amaryllis, you know, a number two potting compost will be absolutely fine. And it needs to go into a pot where the pot is probably just a little bit bigger than the the bulb itself, because it likes to be constricted in growth. Yeah. Um, plant it up. Make sure that neck is really exposed uh, out of the soil. That mustn't bury it below the neck because it will just rot off. Yeah. Uh, and then grow it on. Put it onto a nice south-facing windowsill, and. Uh, 
water on a fairly regular basis, but don't let it get too wet. And if it's in leaf, and it sounds like it's flower, but is it, has it produced leaves or has no leaves no, at all? There's, there's just the spike of so, a leaf or something coming out of the bulb now. Right, so the flower is finishing, but the leaf will come up. Yep. You need to keep on watering. And what you could do uh, is, well, I tend to leave it, actually, and feed, actually, a little bit later in the year, ready for flowering early this time of year. Um, but I put them out in the summer. All right. I see. Yeah, but but how long should I leave it before putting it up? Uh, well, you know, I, when this green spike, it, it hasn't come up. It hasn't it shown now, much yeah. more. If the flowers finish, you could do it. I now. would do it now, actually. Yeah, put it. I see. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah so number two compost. Yeah, number two. That's what John I, I is use. number two. Back to your gardening questions in a moment. But right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden this week. Tom, what's your first tip? Well, it's all about veg, Ken. It's get those shallots in, the onion sets in, and even you could get in your early potatoes. If the ground's okay and you can get onto the ground. Um, So I've put in my onion sets, which are just immature bulbs. Uh, you could have actually put some of these varieties in the autumn, and they're usually treated, so they do not uh, go to seed. The same types can be used uh, in the spring. So now, uh, check your spacing, uh, and What's check your spacing. Your spa- do you well, do? I would look at something like um, three or four inches apart uh, for a slightly larger bulb. If you want them slightly smaller, go closer together, so almost two or three inches apart. Mm-hmm. But for about four inches for me, and then between the rows, four inches as well. And the trick with onion sets is uh, you have to plant them, plant them with a dibber, but leave the neck slightly exposed, which does make it very tantalising for the bird folk out there. Fishing them out. Come out, fish them out. They don't want to take them, they're just playing with them. So you have to go along and actually push them in again. So if you're worried about that, you could always put a cover over them that's a net-based cover, not anything else. Uh, It allows lots of light in. But that will give you some really good crop uh, mid-summer, maybe a little bit earlier. And the other one is actually new potatoes. Um, So getting those in. So if they've been chitted and you've warmed up the ground, I warm up the ground by putting black polythene on the ground. Good heat transfer then. And it keeps that that growth going. Um, And pop them in the ground at a recommended uh, sort of spacing. So in the row for a new potato, uh, something like a, a foot and a half to two foot maximum and about the same between the rows uh, these are potatoes you're not going to really allow to die down you're going to harvest them when they're in flower well have you got another tip for us? i have well you know it's out this burgeoning out there with growth all those weeds are appearing you oh, thought you got rid of them of but they're just around the corner and every time you turn the soil over you get fresh weed seeds so i'm out there hoeing on a la- nice dry sunny day in a nice sunny morning severing the top growth from the from the uh, root growth that's particularly good for your annuals like chickweed or hairy bittercress not so good for your perennials though you must dig those out because they often have root systems or creeping stem systems so take those out but once you clean that ground you know protect it from more weed seeds by putting a nice thick layer of organic matter over the top and the recommendation these days is if you can afford it up to about six inches in depth yeah and that will really keep the weeds down and also keep the moisture in Thank you, Tom. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. And we go to Colin in Harwich. Hello, Colin. Yeah, hello, Ken. Hello, Tom. Very good morning to you. It's uh, broad beans today, Ken. Yeah. Uh, What what would you like to know? 
when they're doing so good that they're, they're absolutely full of flour. And um, I'm wondering, should I um, give them a drop of fertilizer to to no. sort of fill them up? No. no. No, it's too. The ground's too cold. It, it, it won't act, will it? Where, where, where are, are they in the ground growing flowers, or they're in the pots? Yes, no, they're in. They're in, in the, the ground. ground. They are in the ground. I remember before telling me they were coming on, so I knew. Oh, sorry, I knew already they were in the ground. It's done very well. There. It has. Um, you need no, really, just leave well alone. They they need very little help at all, do they? Really? No, they're Abroad pretty being. good. They're pretty good on their own. I mean, if you are putting the seed, if, yeah, right. you put, tend to put your feed in sort of as you do your. Uh, sowing if you want really or if you're planting out put your put your, put your feed in but sounds like these are pretty healthy and um did they mm-hmm. have they branched out enough or are they just single stems well no i've i've gone for a single stem because i wanted to get them cropping early yeah. so that i can get a a, a root crop in after they come out That's uh, good. carrots and beetroot maybe yeah yeah that, that was why i didn't pinch them out i did hear ken saying you should pinch them out <laughs> yeah, yeah, I you did can. tell you to well, pitch you, yeah, about you can. You get on. a multi-branch plant then. Now, beans traditionally, or legumes, mm-hmm. you'd have those in the ground. And then afterwards, Shouldn't put. the best thing for that spot would be anything leafy. Yeah, more leaf. Because the... Br- yes. the that's, that, you know, in the... In, Spinach, kale, yeah. all that sort but of stuff. But it's whatever you need the ground for, really. But I would yeah, be a little bit wary. Leafy. If it, if there's too much of that nitrogen in there, the root crops might mm-hmm. respond and you might get some you might get some additional fanging actually on the on the root crops. Oh I know, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. All right, well, I doubt if I'll put leaves in because um we tend to get horrendous amounts of white cabbage butterflies and Oh yeah, and unless you unless you cover those crops no, for their entirety, good. yeah, that's going to be a problem. But Colin, keep us in touch with what you're growing. We like to hear from you all about what you're growing because that's what this program is about. It helps other people to grow things in their garden, doesn't it, Steve in Chelmsford? Is that right? It, it is indeed, Ken. It feel uh, I feel like I'm sort of cheating a bit because I think that you've talked taught me through step by step, and now I'm ready to plant. Now, if you remember. Uh, Last time I had blight on the potatoes, so we've had the garden landscape, we've had beds made, and I've propagated uh, seed potatoes on the windowsill, so we're all ready to go. Now, right. my so these, is, these are your ru- you've put in raised beds, didn't you, Steve? Yes, that's yes. it. Now, my, prob- uh, my problem is slightly different. Me and my wife, we've got a two year old that loves being in the garden, and he started copying watering and planting. So oh, I wonder if you could <laughs> Yeah. So I wondered if you could suggest something that's quite hardy and will take a lot of water so uh, so we will see it grow quick and he doesn't destroy it by watering it too much. Green veg. Green veg, because um, if you pick them, it won't hurt if you choose them. Spinaches. That's right. Uh, things like um, any any leafy veg. Spinach. Uh, so things like spinach, uh, growing beetroot just for the leaf, uh, right. lettuce, uh, rocket, uh, all of those work will be really good. They're quite durable plants, And actually. then if he picks them and eats it, doesn't oh, hurt either. Another one, spring onions are good. Uh, radishes. Right, okay, cool. Loads, loads of things like they're very quick growing as well. What, which yeah, potato? The thing about radishes is Peter Rabbit grows them as well, so we you've like got them. it. Oh, there you go. You've then. got it. You see, that's <laughs> right. Now, Steve, just a thought: is what potatoes have you got chitting on your windowsill? Then are they earlies or uh, earlies? Hopefully. 
So you're getting close to when you could risk putting them in as long as you're ready with some fleece if we get frosts, when the leaves yeah, emerge. My- my problem is, and my wife's sat next to me now, and she's not in agreement. My problem is, I get too eager. As soon as I see something growing, I'm like, dig it up, eat it, and, and they don't grow to the full potential. Right, so. with, with your potatoes, how long are the shoots on your potatoes on the windowsill? Short. Oh, that's all right, that's good. I was worried that they were too long. Uh, so, so uh, what, would you say... Uh, would you put is me there in, anything Tom? else now. we can start planting then? Yeah, well, Tom's saying he would plant them I, now. I would, def- I would definitely put them in now, but I'd just be very wary. We've got some real cold nights that come through. And uh, what I'd do is plant them at the recommended depth for that particular cultivar, but have what Ken is saying is fleece. have some fleece at hand so you can put it over the top and fleece... Fleece actually yeah. gives about one or two or three degrees temperature lift around that area. So it's actually pretty good for protecting those plants. Particularly, it's actually more when the leaves emerge from the ground that they're going to be really susceptible to frosts. Okay, okay Steve. Lovely. Thank you ever so much. And I'll, uh, and I'll call you up again when it's time to harvest so you can talk me through step by step, Ken. <laughs> no problem at all. That's what this programme is all about. Yes, you're listening to Gardening. The Gardening phone-in here on BBC Essex on FM, DAB, and, of course, the BBC Sounds app, which you can also go to the BBC uh, webpage and find the sounds on there as well. So it's available everywhere if you want to hear it. Our podcast is available after the programme. It has got some extra tips and, in fact, some extra tips, particularly on growing some vegetables at this time of the year on it uh, this very day. And you can get that, as I said, on the podcast, which is on the Sounds app, available this afternoon. So do listen out for that and you can listen across the world to that. Let's go now back to the phones and talk to... Where are we going? We're going to Mike in Colchester. Hello, Mike. And don't forget, there's a line free at the moment. 0800 4041. Hello. Hi, Hi, Mike. I I bought some jasmine bulbs back from Shanghai. Now, if you drop those into a tall glass and add warm water, the bulbs open up and you get a flower to make tea from. That's right. It's jazz. It's where they get jasmine tea from. It's something funny. I'll tell you what's funny about this, Mike, which is why I'm sort of half laughing at you. Someone rang up about this, and I had no idea what they were talking about. And this is the marvelous thing about gardening: is that there are so many things that you're not aware of. And I looked it up, and it's just what you say. It's a jasmine-like bulb. You put it in water, and it opens, and you get jasmine tea from it, don't you? Now, could we do that with other bulbs in this country, for instance? Would that procedure no. work? No, it's uh, they're they're not that <laughs> they're not that sort of bulb. Um, I oh, mean, you right. you can grow our bulbs above water, but you can't actually produce tea or anything like that from them. And in fact, which one's poisonous? Is it daffodils are poisonous? Absolutely, aren't they? daffodils yeah, yeah, are yeah, poisonous. Yeah, 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 yeah. As an example, tulips are not poisonous, but daffodils are poisonous oh. as a bulb. Um, it's <laughs> Isn't it? It's something that I've never come across. I've never actually found one. Um, one day, someone will send me one and say, this is what I'm talking about. But, Mike... Um, it's, it's fascinating to see the, the, the flower open up, though, in uh, your, your tall glass of water. Yes. It is interesting. No, so the answer is no. Enjoy your bulb that you've brought back. But no, we can't help you do anything else <laughs> of any other bulb, Mike. 
Well, thanks for your time anyway. That's all right. Sorry to have kept you waiting, Mike. And that number to call is 0800 111 And we will go to... Where are we going? I'll tell you where we're going. We're going to Tiptree, aren't we? Are you near the yes, jam factory, Marion? <laughs> Hello. Hello there. I always, think of, I always think of jams when I think of Tiptree, you see. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, where we, that's where all the jam is made, yes. What would you like anyway, to know? Uh, well, I've got quite a few questions here, but they're quite quick answers. Um, basically, I want to know when to feed plants uh, in the garden and in pots at this time of the year. Okay. And, and what to feed them with. So, for a start... I've um, I've got a camellia. I've got one camellia in a pot and one in the garden. Uh, the camellia in the pot is already flowering. The one in the garden isn't. So do I feed them now, this time of the year? Uh, the ones in the pots, I would actually just take a couple of inches of the topsoil away and put fresh lime-free compost on. Right. Uh, that will have a degree of fertil- fertiliser in anyway. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be... Uh, feeding at this time of year the camellia it's already mm-hmm. in bud yep. waiting to flower but i would feed after may it's onwards, flower. so really. may onwards with a with an uh, with a something like an iron based feed yes yeah, yeah. Yes. so and that's you can water you. those in actually so that's a quite that's a quite quick acting way really yes. in yes. the ground obviously you don't you might want to top dress the ground and put, or put a fresh mulch of um ericaceous compost or if you can get it um yeah. composted pine needles are pretty good because they really help acidify oh. the soil you can get it from oh, okay. some good garden centers right. um, and i would also use the same fertilizer in about may for that plant as well righty ho that's lovely now hydrangea i've got one in a pot and one in the garden again do i feed them now uh, now, with those, uh, yes, you can, actually. So in the pot, it's feed with whatever general-purpose fertiliser you use for anything. So something like fish blood and bone or Vitax Q4 or Osmocoat or right. uh, Grome or any of those would be good, whether it's in the pot or in the ground. And again, if you've weeded around the base of those, just add a nice top dressing of uh, mulch material. Um, okay. So I would do that as well. Right. Okay. I've got lots of tomato um, food. Yeah. Um, what do I use tomato food for? An- anything that flowers. Anything that flowers. Anything or fruits. Flowers. Yeah. Or fruits. Yeah, anything that flowers oh. or fruits. Oh, yeah, I know it's for fruits. No, but anything right. flowers. Um, okay. Right. Um, I'll also, I've got a fuchsia in a pot, which has obviously died down. Now, is it? Uh, do I... Uh, replant it in the ground now or leave it till later you can pop it in the ground is it a hardy one yes so you can pop it in the ground now i cut it down yeah. uh, mm, hang on would i cut no. it down no i wouldn't cut it down yet ignore no. that because ignore it's, go- Tom, it's gonna get it's quite cold <laughs> fuchsias are tend to cut down end of march going to april but definitely yes. get it in the ground now right. and firm it in water once that's what you need to do okay then so most things um is it okay to to um, feed them uh, in the ground now or, yep. or leave until later? No, March is a good month. Any time from March onwards, you can start using your feeds. Right. Particularly the slower I've... release ones are really good at this time of the year. Right. I've already had the roses, which I've okay, pruned. Man. 
I've already fed them, but Good. when do I refeed them? You end Not it till you June. Just, you just need to feed, well, I've used top rows or something like that, which is once Twice a year. Yeah, once a year I use it. Yeah. I use it after the second flush starts as well. Go for it. You're, you're sort oh, of I see. No expense. eager to shed that feed. No expense spared. <laughs> Marion, get on with your feeding. I'm going to go straight to Kazra from Beamsville, Ontario, because she says something. What do I do with my soil this spring? The various beds are three to five years old, were made from virgin ground. Do I need to give these beds a nice boost? If so, what do I do? Do I add leaf compost to improve structure? Do I add well-rotted manure or add general compost? Or do I just add blood, fish and bone? in a few weeks' time and feed throughout the summer. So, come on, Tom. Well, Actually, any of those well, that she's mentioned? No, feeding doesn't improve the structure of the soil no, at all. No, all those things she's mentioned, though, the compost. I'm just getting there. I'm sorry, just getting sorry. there. Come on. But any bulky conditioner you're putting in the ground, whether it's leaf mould, compost you've made, even if you just put it on the surface, that'll activate all those organisms and they'll start to drag it down into the soil and that'll improve soil structure. So you can do that from that. As long as you can get on the ground, you can do it then. And you could keep on adding, depends on what soil you got. If it's more clay-based, once a year is okay. If it's sandier, more well-drained, little bit often throughout the season will be okay. And start feeding, actually. As soon as your plant's growing, it's an active time of the year, it's a good time to start right? feeding with something like a general-purpose feed. And again, if you've got a more well-drained soil, try and go for feeds which are controlled, slow release, so they don't get suddenly broken down and washed away. We'll be back to take your calls, texts and emails shortly, but let's take a final look at the top tips Tom has for you this week. Well, I was out in the garden this morning, very early, with, old, with my little ruby dog, and uh, she was uh, doing some weeding and I was doing some weeding, but I was actually doing some top dressing of my pots uh, after I'd actually fed them. I they fed them this it, morning. I give them the general purpose slow release uh, fertilizer, so it'll break down over the year. I will top up the feed about summertime with a liquid feed, and I will put on some fresh new compost, particularly for my lime-hating plants that are all in pots at the moment. So I'll go out there and get some more ericaceous compost and pop it on the top. Once I've taken off the first couple of inches of that compost, and I will recycle that in the rest of the garden. But you must do that. It gives also a lovely clean appearance as well. What's your second one for us then? Yeah. We're just about uh, at the last throwings, really, for pruning uh, a number of dogwoods and willows. They're all shooting. They shoot, aren't they? Yeah. And really, you need to do that before they shoot. But if you've got that spare moment this weekend, you need to cut down all of last year's growth to just in front of the stump that they've uh, been produced from. And you know what? That will give you really good, vibrant new cut growth, which will give you great colour from around about December through to uh, late January, February. Thanks very much, Tom. Paula from Hockley is next. Let's look after Paula. Hello, Paula. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, pinching out, I need a bit of advice, please. Are you there? Yes, yes we, we are. We're, we're listening, listening intently. Um, I've got a lot of trailers. I've got geraniums. Um, oh, what have I got? Verbena, geraniums, Kapapa. I could never say that. Kapapa. Backapa. They're in a heated greenhouse. Mm -hmm. um, they probably need pinching out but i'm always a bit nervous about pinching out is there um, a well i i for trading fuchsias trading pelagoniums uh yes i do uh once the plant gets to around about sort of three or four inches high okay. then i will take out the tops uh and rather than pinching out is it, it, we're just removing the tips of the growth but <laughs> If you pinch yes. out some those two, actually, sometimes you can damage the tissue on the plant. So I 
just take out the top uh, couple of junctions down to a pair of leaves uh, with a pair of secateurs or a sharp knife. Right. Uh, do all of, do all of the terminal shoots, do all of those shoots, and actually get a really good, well-shaped plant. But with those two in particular, you'll get even more trailing growth uh, coming from them. But even if they're upright forms of, say, fuchsia or pelargonium or heliotrope, it's quite good to, to pinch out the top because it makes it for a bushier plant yes, and actually yes. means every single shoot will terminate in a, whole, in a whole range of flowers. Right. Now, does the same apply to upright? I've got cosmos, zinnias um, and nicotiana. Um, Nicotiana tend to, oh, depending what you got, actually, that. I tend to leave those. They tend to be, they tend to branch anywhere on their own. Uh, things like the other ones you were mentioning, you were mentioning cosmos and zinnia. Cosmos and zinnia. Cosmos, you could. Yeah, zinnia. I tend to leave on their no, own because you get zinnia. nice terminal flowers on those. And they break and produce lots of side shoots as well. Um, and then yeah. when you come to deadhead those, you'll, they'll produce even more side shoots. Yeah. Uh, so okay, I do that. Yeah. Okay, Paula, that's to help Paula in Hockley. And uh, just to answer, Pam, your, your point set here, start to water it, but don't give it too much water. And Pam, also, don't start feeding the houseplants till latter end of March, really. It's a point set here. Latter end of March will do it just fine. We're going to go back to the phones now. So, uh, Sid in Thundersley. Sid, how can we help? Uh, hello, Ken and Tom. Uh, I've got some... Um, Fertinia in pots are yep. about five foot tall. The um, top is quite bushy. They've then got the trunk, uh, which is uh, virtually bare, apart from a few uh, branches at the bottom. And I've seen somewhere where they actually, I think they called it air layering, where they put a scrape the bark a little bit, put a pot on there, a, a plastic uh, little drinking bottle fill it with compost tape it up and keep that watered and eventually you've got roots coming out of that good growth at the top but i wondered if i might be damaging the whole plant by doing that no no um what you need is a good length of, of stem really about 45 centimeters about a foot and a half and yeah. you can get those devices where you wrap them around the plant and use you compost use, or sphagnum moss. Cling film. Yeah, you don't have to water them though. I no. mean, basically, it's you open a wound on the stem about foot, foot and a half from the tip, and or scrape away the bark as you were saying. Wrap around compost, very absorbent compost or sphagnum moss, and then I use black polythene. And then tie mm. just above it, tie just below, nice and, and tight. Do it now, and actually, probably about yeah. half of the year, you've got a rooted section. What, and um, the same would apply with laurel, would it? You could do it with all of those. All, all of those. Key yeah. evergreens, you can do that a lot too, and a lot of your house plants as well. Okay, Sid. Thank you very much for your help. Give it a try and let us know how you get on. And we go to... Where are we going? We're going to go to Joe in Leon C. Sorry to keep you waiting, Lee. Your lawn, what would you like to know? Right, I had a really bad lawn last summer. I think most of us bad. did. Most of us did, I think. So yeah. what, what's up with it now? It's the prettiest lawn in the area. It's covered in um, little tiny violas, are they? They've self-seeded all over it, and it oh. looks absolutely a picture. Oh. I'm just wondering, what do I do now if I once, obviously, the actual grass starts, what's left of the grass starts growing, or should I just sort of give up and start again? 
Well, actually, if you've got violas and they're genuine violas, if you if yeah. you don't cut too low, the violas would stay there. They're quite flat, aren't and they? And they could be a feature of mm. the lawn if you like them. Do you like them? Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful, and lots of people are stopping and saying, "Oh, look at this! It's absolutely smothered. They self-seeded themselves, and they're lovely." Half but of me I would. Not sure what I should do. Well, half of me would just. I just enjoy yeah, them, and I wouldn't take yeah. them out. I mean, lawns are such a pain to look yeah, after, aren't exactly. they? Also, it's quite. It's green, isn't it? So yeah. it's. Uh, and you've got the bonus. It's got a flower. <laughs> you yeah. could introduce lots of other little plants as well. And have a meadow. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what it looks like. It's absolutely beautiful. But if I've got to start cutting the actual grass that's left, would that? How would that? If you have it uh, set so, slightly high, you'll yeah. probably trim off the tops of the violas, but you haven't taken yeah. the plant away. So the plant's still there. Yeah. So I just leave it as it is. Other than that, it's taking it all up, I suppose, and starting again. Yeah, if you just want grasses, then that is probably the next solution, really. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm quite happy with these flowers. They look well, absolutely it sounds, beautiful. It sounds lovely. So, <laughs> I just wondered what I should do. You should now introduce some lovely cowslips, some primroses, and yes. crown head. No, no some uh, fritillaries and things like that. Joe, you could have a lovely lawn. <laughs> Be the envy of the envy of the area. Brenda in Billericay, you're the last call, but we got some text to try and fit in as well. Brenda, how can we help you, Brenda? Hi there. Um, we have quite a small garden, um, and 13 years ago, when I moved into the house, I um, planted a blue hibiscus which is now, it must be seven feet tall. Um, I know you have to be careful with pruning them, but in a small garden, it really is getting a bit too big. Uh, just some advice, please, as how and when I can just, you know, keep it under control a bit. How big, how tall is it at the moment? It's about seven foot tall. And you want to get it to where? Um, ideally, I'd like to take, um, probably at least 18 inches off it. Um, it is a small garden and a narrow, it's in a narrow bed. Um, but it is absolutely beautiful every year. Um, so I'm, I'm loath to sort of damage it, it, the plant in any way. Well, I don't think you damage it, actually. I mean, they, are, they can be a bit temperamental, but from time to time at the college, we do take those plants down a little because they do just get out, out, of, out of size. I would actually bring it down just a little oh, bit more good. than the depth, that, that sort of length you want to reduce it right. to because it's going to grow again. And mm -hmm. um, I would do that probably towards the end of this month coming into April. Um, it, you'll get a reduction in flowers, but you'll get a better shape to begin with, and then it will start flowering again. Eddie Vail in Thundersley, she sent us a text. Thank you, Brenda. It's the same sort of thing. Hibiscus, five foot high, which has seed pods on each branch. Should I remove them? Well, they just drop off, uh, or you could collect the seed pods and maybe try and propagate from them. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> they're not doing it. They're not harming the plant at all. It's just right. a natural part of the plant. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call on 0800 111 40 41 and be part of the programme every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11.